First, let's pray. Teach us your way, O Lord, as we listen to your word. Help us to understand your law and obey it with all of our hearts. Through Christ our Lord, amen. The Old Testament reading today is from Deuteronomy 5, 1 through 21, 32 through 33. I think these are the rules. <laughs> the Ten Commandments. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn from them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time I stood between the Lord and you to declare you to the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded. Six days you shall labor and do all work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long, and it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you possess. And the New Testament, Matthew 5, 17 through 20, fulfillment of the law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law, until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So let me start by telling you a story of something that happened to me not long ago in a uh, prominent concert hall in downtown Seattle. It's a place I've been many, many times before, and I was attending a concert there, and during the uh, intermission, uh, I and the person I was with went uh, out from where we were seated in the concert hall to the, uh, to the lobby area. And we went up to a second level that, that I have gone to during intermissions many times before, where I, I go up and, I, and I'm able to look at and do all kinds of people watching during the intermission. And, and uh, it's a way to spend that time to be able to then go back for the second half of the concert. Well, well I went following the way that I normally go, and then at a certain point, someone confronted me. And they said, sir, do you have, and he said, something like a special kind of ticket. And I was really surprised because I'd been there literally 50 times before in that same space. But I was being told right now that in order to go to this place, I have to be a special, have special clearance. Now, I said, no, I don't have that. And while walking away, I turned around to see, okay, there is a sign there that said, okay, I should have seen that. And then when it said how much you need to give as a donation every year in order to be part of that club, I knew for a fact that I did not have clearance to go to that spot. But I wanted to share this story because, because in that moment, I was really offended. I mean, I was saying, who are you to tell me that I can't go there? I've gone there so many times. Well, right there, I was experiencing something that is very common in our culture. And I wonder if you've seen this too, that we live in a culture that is uncomfortable with limits. Perhaps we are immediately suspicious of really any idea that would curb individual freedom. And yet, this same culture enjoys sports. Sports, that think about it, are limited by very defined ground rules and enjoyed within boundary lines that restrict the field of play. So children are out on fields throughout our community playing these sports. Viewers are tuned into ubiquitous broadcasts of sporting events, and fans gather in large stadiums to cheer on their favorite team. And in none of this activity is there outrage at the fact that the players are not free to do whatever it is they want to do. Isn't that amazing? Now, sure, from time to time, we get worked up to protest a call by the umpire or the referee or the official. But even when we do that, it's always in a way that respects their authority. We're appealing to the authority to see it our way. We may not like their calls, but we don't deny their authority to make those calls. 
There is broad consensus that the ground rules and the boundary lines in a given sport are good for the game. They also allow for a better experience for all involved, helping sport to be played to its fullest enjoyment. Yet when it comes to God's ground rules and scriptural authority, these get a much more chilly reception. Even in church, it can be hard to gain a hearing. I mean, why would a God who loves me ever tell me that I can't do something? As a creative counter to this, what might happen if we looked at God's rules and requirements through the lens of sport, where we are more appreciative of rules? More specifically, in this series, looking at it through the diamond sports of softball and baseball. Now, why these sports more than any of the others? Well, frankly, it's just a random choice. But there, there is some logic behind that. First of all, <clears throat> it could be how softball and baseball are part of Americana. They are so deeply rooted in what it means to be kind of quintessentially American. And yet, with a considerable and growing following in other parts of the world, especially Asia and Latin America. It could also be that we're a church in a city that has a professional baseball team that's starting up a new season after the end of last season where they finally got into the playoffs after years and years of futility. Amen? Yeah, there you go. Hey, feel free to, feel free to cheer for, for the Mariners. But it could also be to pay respect to a classic Christian institution. And that is the co-ed church softball league. <laughs> my journey in my adult years in the church can be traced from softball field to softball field. I remember breaking up a no-hitter in the high humidity of Louisville, Kentucky, playing for a United Church of Christ softball team. I remember coming home to a surprise 30th birthday party, all sweaty from playing on our church softball league in Fullerton, California in the heat of the sun. And here in Mill Creek, when I first came to North Creek, this was no exception. But I should have known by the name of the team that the conditions of playing would be quite different. You see, at North Creek, the team was known as the Marsh Wiggles. A reference to the character Puddleglum in C.S. Lewis's Narnian novel, The Silver Chair, and an appropriate description of how the players would need to navigate the often soaking wet field. In these church leagues through the years, women and men have played to the fullest enjoyment of the game, win or lose, by playing according to the rules of the game. Dave Swanson, thank you for your leadership of that, of that team. I'm going to mention the Marsh Wiggles through this sermon series and the fun that we've had over the years. But all of this talk about baseball and softball, 
leads me to a question, and it's a question that I want you to discuss very quickly with those around you. And so, if you're new to North Creek, what I have to do is give you a qualification before I turn you loose to talk with one another. We don't do this every week. But during the season of spring, we've decided that because people like that opportunity to talk with each other during the service of worship, during this spring sermon series, we're going to have a small little question for you to talk just for about a minute with the two or three, four people around you, right where you sit. So um, you don't have to participate, but you, you may, and you are welcome to. And uh, so if you can find like two or three other people, introduce yourself to them and, uh, and if you see anyone around who's not included, go ahead and, and bring them into your circle. And just answer this question. In your childhood, what baseball team did you or your family cheer for? Now, if you need to substitute a different sport, feel free. Okay? Go for it. And those of you who are online as, as we get together here, if you're with someone else, share your answer to that question. If you're alone, go ahead and, and just think through what you would say to that. All right. All right. Well, for, you know, some of us, we, we might have been uh, challenged because baseball is, is not our sport or our family sport. Uh, and uh, what we're going to do with those other sports is the children's message. We're going to have a different sport every week and talk about a rule. I hope to have, we'll definitely have soccer in there. Uh, I'm pretty sure we have, and we're going to have the kids actually tell us the rule. 
And uh, I think we have a lacrosse player that I'm going to make sure uh, we have shared that, because I'm very curious about that. I don't know a lot about lacrosse. And I believe we have some people in our congregation who have experience playing cricket. And there are more people in our community who have experience playing cricket, and I'm very intrigued about that as well, especially the shape of the bat. It's very, very interesting to me. Uh, by the way, uh, how many, what are some names of teams? Just shout it out. Oh, Kraken. <laughs> Supersonics basketball. I love it. I love that you shared that. That's great. Rainiers. That's going back a long way. Yankees. Pilots. Wow, Dodgers. That's great. That's great. And I, and I have it on good authority over here. The Mariners also made an appearance uh, with that. Uh, so... Like sports, the Christian faith has ground rules and boundary lines. And these are probably best represented when you look into scripture by the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments anchor all of the law, the Torah, of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. And most people are aware of the existence of the Ten Commandments. They know there is such a thing as the Ten Commandments. And... uh, some people can actually recite all Ten Commandments or, or can recognize when something is in the Ten Commandments and something that isn't. In this series, we're going to explore the Ten Commandments as life-giving guidelines, God-given ground rules for the good life. Now, the first connection we can make between the Ten Commandments and baseball and softball is the number of players in the lineup or on the lineup card. And it hasn't always been this way. But with the advent of the designated hitter, uh, you, you have the nine feet players in the field plus the designated hitter. And so when you look at a batting order, it's usually one through nine, and then they add the pitcher at the end. And that would be the full lineup of those who are playing in the game that day, and that's 10 people. I'm a, I'm a fan of the University of Washington uh, College women's softball team, and, and I get uh, Instagram posts from, from their team all the time, and they, they put their starting lineup and their batting order out there, and I counted one, two, three, yep, there's 10. So, so the Ten Commandments, think of them as a, as a lineup of 10 players. So here's the batting order. We're going to put it up on the screen. Uh, This is uh, a summary of what you heard read from Deuteronomy. You start off in the leadoff spot is the Lord alone. And then uh, in the number two, you have no idols. Then don't misuse the Lord's name is batting third. And then batting cleanup, and we're going to go into this next week, is practice Sabbath. And then this follows, this is a very strategic command because everything from here on out in the order is very much uh, focused on our relationship with others. And so you have honor parents, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't speak falsely, and don't covet. The Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, is found in two places in the Old Testament. The first place you find it is in Exodus chapter 20. And this is the story of when the Ten Commandments were given by God. And so it's part of the story of their being given, that they are outlined and all of the ten are there. 
Now, in Deuteronomy, and this is the, this is the version that we are going to focus on in this sermon series, this is later on toward the end of Moses' life. At the beginning of Deuteronomy, God's people who have been liberated from slavery in Egypt and have been wandering around the Sinai Peninsula in the desert for many, many years are now at the precipice of entering the promised land. And Moses gets their attention and says, hey, in order to live the life that God wants us to live in this land of promise, here's what, how God wants us to live there. Now, there was a lot at stake because they had just come out of a society that had enslaved them. There certainly was a lot about what they had learned in that society, how they were formed by that society that needed changing. God wanted it to be a different kind of place. And it was going to be a different kind of place because people would live this way. It's interesting how it's framed in Deuteronomy. So uh, what you have on the screen there are the, is the text at the beginning that introduces it, and then the text at the end of the chapter that bookends it. Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. Be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or the left. Walk in obedience to all the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live. So that you may live. Life-giving. According to God's word in Deuteronomy, these are for our benefit. Although it may not always feel like it. Remember the story I told when I was greatly offended being told that I did not have access to that part of the balcony? When we run into these laws, sometimes it hurts our pride when we can't do what we think we should be able to do. Now, sometimes we accept it and move on. We're, we're kind of returned to the field of play, so to speak, we bounce off the boundary, and then we're in the field of play, and we react fairly well to that. Other times, we might fuss or fume. When we're, when we're arguing balls and strikes, it's not always easy to see that the rules are there for our good. But it does beat the alternative. I mean, think about it. So think about baseball and softball. You are up to bat, and it just so happens that the pitcher that day has decided that she wants the rule for her on that day to be she can throw the ball to any other player on the field and it's going to be a strike on you. So she turns around and does that underhanded throw to the second baseman. And the umpire says, strike one. And you're sitting there in the batter's box going, what gives? We really do appreciate when everyone plays by the rules. You get up in the, in the batter's box, the pitcher has to pitch it. It's got to be within a certain range, and that gives me a chance. Sometimes I swing and miss, and sometimes I strike out. And sometimes I don't agree with an umpire's call. But it's amazing the number of rules that are in play when we play sports at the same time that we just take for granted. Well, some may wonder if the Ten Commandments are still meant to be lived by people today. 
I mean, these were given a very, very long time ago. The other side of the world, centuries and centuries, really millennia ago. Perhaps even as enlightened Christians in the 21st century, we have graduated from the requirement, maybe even because we've been saved by grace. Maybe Jesus would give us a free pass. But as you heard from Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has a lot to say about God's law, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. And during this series, each week we will be looking at a different dimension of the Ten Commandments, but also at some words, mostly from the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus says. This is Jesus talking, where Jesus talks about those commandments in a way that serves to support our following them and deepening our understanding of them. Toward the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, after his Beatitudes, which by the way is another great lineup, Jesus speaks of God's law. You see, his listeners were probably wondering, this is more of the outset of his public ministry, Is Jesus going to support God's law as it's been revealed in Hebrew Scripture? Or is he going to bring something brand new to replace it? And Jesus speaks in very clear terms about God's law. But as we will see, he does so by taking us deeper into them, taking us to the heart, and focusing our attention on the life-giving essence of each commandment. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus often speaks of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. This is where, to quote the Lord's Prayer, which he also speaks of in the Sermon on the Mount, where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. If you think about where, what is true of heaven? It's where God's will is done, where, where it describes what life is like, what existence is like. It's all God, all goodness, all the time. And in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, bring your perfect world to manifest here so that we can experience that. It's Jesus' version of the good life. Life as God intended it. Life lived to the fullest of God's creative intent. And greatness in the kingdom of heaven comes from putting God's commandments into practice. Summarizing these words from Matthew 5, Jesus says, Don't think that I have come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Therefore, anyone who practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In softball terms, Jesus didn't come to get rid of the rule book or erase the lines on the field of play. He came so we'd understand better why God put them there in the first place. He also came so that we'd we'd recognize more clearly our own inability 
in following those laws on our own without God's help. He came also so that by God's grace in Jesus Christ, we might ascend to greatness in the kingdom of heaven, enjoying the game at a whole new life-giving level. When we think of the Ten Commandments, I've done some uh, kind of some informal polls and asking people about the Ten Commandments, and I find that one of the common images that comes to people's minds are uh, monuments outside of courthouses in the United States. And that may come to, to our minds too. You know, the Ten Commandments, uh, chiseled into granite or concrete in a, in a large, heavy uh, monument to the Ten Commandments. And while there's no denying the fact that these rules form the bedrock foundation of society in the Judeo-Christian tradition. I believe that Scripture moves us beyond this monolithic understanding of the Ten Commandments. The question, are the Ten Commandments a monolith or a mix-in, is an important question. Is the significance of the Decalogue the fact that they exist as a monument out there somewhere in society? Isn't it great that this society believes in or affirms the Ten Commandments? And that's the length. That maybe is the end-all and be-all of what they were meant to be in our lives. Or does their significance exist in being written not just on stone outside the courthouse, but chiseled into the human heart? Are these commandments meant to be mixed in to our thoughts and actions day by day? Well, in the Reformed tradition, which is the theological heritage of the Presbyterian faith, there's no question about the answer to this question. This life-giving lineup in the Ten Commandments is meant to be mixed in to life. In our book of Confessions, you will find the Ten Commandments holding a powerful place, especially in the historic catechisms of Heidelberg and Westminster. But much more than extolling their monolithic importance for society, these catechisms call us to allow God to chisel them into our hearts. They open our minds to know how God's guidelines might be mixed into the stuff of life so that it might be experienced as the good life that God intends. It's kind of a perfect follow-up in, in the Heidelberg Catechism a follow-up talking about the Ten Commandments after the Easter celebration. Because the Ten Commandments are featured in the section of gratitude, gratitude for what God has done for us by saving us through Jesus Christ. In question 90, the question is, what is the rising to life of the new self? Isn't that a great topic to dive into after Easter? The answer is wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. 
The next question, what are good works? The answer here is only those which are done out of true faith and conform to God's law and are done for God's glory and not those simply based on our own opinion or human tradition. And finally, question 92, well, what is God's law? And the answer, God spoke all these words, quote, the Ten Commandments. So, I invite you to imagine the Ten Commandments enshrined on a large monument made entirely of concrete. But look past the surface. Inside that monument. Because there's a special ingredient in that concrete called cement. And that cement has been mixed in among the aggregate of rocks. And that's what makes concrete so strong. Without the cement, it would just be rocks. Think of the Ten Commandments as the cement that holds it all together in the strength of God's wisdom. And consider God's intention of working those commandments like cement into your life, the aggregate of your days, your relationship. Now the water, by the way, cement needs water to activate it. The water that activates it is the presence and power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit who makes these laws come alive with meaning and gives us the grace we need to choose God's good life when we're tempted to live otherwise. Well, in conclusion, next week we'll take a look at the two main parts of the Ten Commandments and that one commandment, to observe the Sabbath that serves as a bridge between the two. But in this season ahead, we move forward to explore God's guidelines for the good life. May we welcome this life-giving lineup as we line up our thoughts and actions to reflect God's values in our daily life. Amen.